The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Welcome to Hidden Horsepower by Total Seal. I'm Joe Costello, and once again, we are joined by the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings, Mr. Keith Jones. Keith, welcome back. Another podcast. Glad to be here, Joe. Now, this one is a little bit different. Normally, we have celebrity guests and engine builders, and who knows who we have. On this particular edition, uh, you are the star, my man. We are going to answer some questions that people out there, engine builders out there, what we would call frequently asked questions for the folks that are interested in piston rings and the technology, and maybe they don't know exactly what to do. We've got a couple of questions that you run into on a pretty regular basis that by listening to this can help point them in the right direction. And from what I gather, this is pretty much a big part of your job, answering people's questions. Yeah, it really is. Myself and the, and the other guys that are here, uh, you know, Rick and Lake and Kevin and Bobby, I mean, this is a big part of what we field every day is, is answering those questions, kind of like we talked about from previous episodes. You know, some of this information is readily available, but a lot of it is not. And we're trying to get that information out there and share it with the customers and, you know, make sure that they have a, a great experience using our products and anybody else's because, you know, getting it right, whether it's my rings or somebody else's, is a big part of the, you know, of the key. It's all, a, it's all a package. It's all a synergy. It's all got to work together. And you say that every episode, but it's worth saying every single episode. Now, Keith, I like to always think about the listeners out there. And if you're listening to Hidden Horsepower by Total Seal for the very first time, welcome and hello. Of course, we encourage you to write a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Certainly share the show with your friends who would be interested I like to think about who they are, Keith, like engine builders, interested people, technology people. There's engine geeks out there. Let's face it. But the people that I really want to focus on are the ones that are they are building an engine and they want to make the right decision. And, uh, you know, a lot of people go to YouTube. That's not always where you're going to find all the answers. Most certainly not. It, it can be handy. It's helped me out quite a few times. But, you know, you can only cover so much in a five minute video. Well, exactly, exactly. And that's why guys like you are available at Total Seal and you can, uh, you know, take a phone call, etc. But let's get into the questions. Things like an engine builder will call and ask. Uh, one, I'm under the impression you get on a pretty regular basis is, uh, you know, cylinder honing. Like how much do you hone the block for a ring? How is that all determined? And in addition to that, like, you know, the grit, the pattern, how does it hold the oil, like all of those elements, dive into that area, honing of the cylinder walls. Well, absolutely. Um, we get that question every single day. Uh, and one of them is, you know, right off the bat is, what grit do I need? And my response to that is, you know, grits are something you cook on a stovetop in Alabama. Uh, what's it got to do with honing cylinders? And, and the reason I say that is, you know, just like everything else in this engine that we're dealing with, it's evolved so much. If, if this was 1975 and we were all working on 350 Chevys and all of these blocks are 150, 160 Burnell, that's a, a hardness measurement, um, it's pretty easy to give you a recommendation that works for everything. The problem today is we're dealing with all kinds of different block materials, all kinds of different block hardnesses different types of rings that go with that, you know, that we're going to run on that engine. And then we're dealing with all kinds of different honing abrasives, you know, diamonds, 
vitrified CBNs. We're using different materials to hone the blocks. So it's become a very complicated question uh, to, to, for a simple answer. And, and a lot of people just expect a simple answer like, oh, hone it with a 280 grit. Well, I'll say this right up. I can get you 10 different finishes with a 280 grit. All depends on you know, what kind of honing oil I'm using, how hard the block is. So it's, it's a much deeper question than that. And it's a very, very important part of the process. We absolutely have to achieve the right bore finishes so we can get the right amount of oil retention on the cylinder wall to keep that ring lubricated. Rings and pistons ride on a film of oil just like a bearing on a crankshaft. They don't ride metal to metal. If they do, again, it's just like a bearing on a crankshaft with no oil. It's not going to be very happy for very long. You're going to have a lot of, wear, lot of damage, a lot of torn up metal. So real important to get the right volume of oil held on the cylinder wall. Just because we're throwing the oil up in the bore doesn't mean the oil has the ability to cling and grab onto that cylinder and stay there and create that wedge of oil for the parts to run on. That's the function, one of the functions of the, of the of honing the cylinder. There's also the crosshatch angle. Very important to get the right angles because that helps determine ring rotation speed. Rings rotate. Uh, the only time they don't rotate is if we pin them like a two-stroke. They're always going to turn. So if we get the angles incorrect, we can either spin the ring too fast, and that can cause the rings to line up, which is not... A real common thing, but it does happen. Or if we get the cross-hatch angle too flat, it'll stagnate the ring so they do not turn. Then you start to get carbon buildup. Rings want to stick in the grooves. Rings start to chatter like you're driving over railroad tracks. Uh, all kinds of bad things start to happen if we get the angles too flat. So it, it's real important to, you know, to reach out to us. What kind of block are you dealing with? What are you doing? What's the application? You know, is this twin-turboed or is this normally aspirated? Uh, a little bit about it. And then a little information about the, the person honing it. Do we know what kind of machine they're using? Sunnen, Rottler, Gehring, a little bit about the honing stones. And then we can really help direct you down that path, get you the right information, what stones, what angles. Here's the pressures they need to run. We can help you with that information. But it's become a much more complicated question than it was 15 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Wow, it sounds like a you know one of the chicken or the egg kind of questions in that people would buy all their stuff and then hone the block. Now it sounds like it's, this is part of the first call or some of the first thoughts that you need to uh, consider is who's going to be machining these parts and what are they using and what do you have before uh, or when you call Total Seal. Absolutely. If we know that information, uh, yeah, we don't mind you calling back if you've got to ask your guy, but if you can gather that data... We can simply tell you, use, here's our recommendations. We have recommendations for many different types of pist you know, uh, blocks, honing equipment uh, that we can send you, give you over the phone. But we have to know that it's, again, not just a simple thing of saying, oh, hone it with a 280-grit stone. We might have been able to get away with that back in the 70s, but today it, it simply isn't going to happen. And the reason with this is the blocks, generally speaking, are much, much harder. If when we hone the cylinder, what we're trying to do is achieve that finish. And if that finish isn't quite right, the rings through the running of the engine will correct that finish. Rings naturally plateau the cylinder and plateau that finish, which is very important to get that proper plateaued cylinder finish. But we go back to back in the 70s, you know, soft blocks with big fat 560 force rings that make tons of tension, 20 pound oil rings. Guess what? It's going to fix that cylinder finish, you know, pretty much no matter what you do. It just takes time. Well, we move forward to 2020, we've got blocks that are two and three times harder than the original 
blocks back in the 70s. We're dealing with blocks that are 300 Brunel or higher today. And we've got very thin, very lightweight rings, very low drag. Well, again, guess what? If you screw the finish up and get it wrong, will that ring eventually correct that finish on its own? It will, but probably not in your lifetime. The machining process, something that I've been interested in, and obviously the the surface from the ring to the cylinder wall is vital if we're going to seal the cylinder. And so, excellent question. But really, it just kind of opens up many more questions for the listeners out there. You're going to have to find out uh, you know, who's machining it, what they're using, even the machine that they're using, and then call Total Seal, and they will get you on the right track. All right, next question for Keith Jones, Director of Technical Sales here on Hidden Horsepower. How much end gap... Should I run? That's an interesting question because uh, it, is it a, a generic answer? Are they all the same? No, they're not, Joe. It really, you know, whether we're running a normally aspirated engine, you know, a turbocharged engine, forced induction, nitrous. Now, there's different formulas for that, which we do have listed on our website. If you go to totalfield.com, you can look that up. But again, if you want to really get detailed on it, there's other equations that come into it. You know, we have, again, if you look at the website, factors, you know, bore size based on normally aspirated times four and a half thousandths per inch of bore for a normally aspirated piece is a good general rule of thumb. But you start getting into power adders, how much power adder, there's larger factors we're going to increase that gap. We've got to increase the gap so the ring has room to grow and not butt the ring ends together. If the ends come together, uh, it's a disaster. If you're a little too big on the gap, nobody knows. But if you butt the ring ends, everybody knows. So it's, you know, we want to, if we lean a direction on gap, it's always a little to the big side. A little big will never hurt you. A little tight can kill you and destroy a, you know, a wonderful engine project very, very quickly. So it is, again, application-based. We have those applications listed on the website under our gapping chart FAQs. But you're also very welcome to call us at any time. Because those recommendations are, you know, they're an amalgamation of information, uh, kind of, you know, we look at this, we've dealt with, you know, thousands of customers, get that feedback, put all that together, but they're very conservative numbers. Just because the gap spec says this doesn't mean that necessarily is exactly what you have to have because there's other, there's other variables that come into play. What kind of fuel? Gasoline, alcohol, aluminum block, iron block. No coolant in the block, filled block. There's a lot of things that can affect that. Uh, marine applications where we're, in many cases, circulating cold water through the block all the time. That's going to change it. So we do have good recommendations on the website, but if you're not sure, please, again, reach out to us, call us, email us, tell us the specifics about your application, and we'll nail it down for you. And all that information is at TotalSeal.com. You can call Keith. And, Keith, over these episodes that we have done, Hidden Horsepower, and, of course, we encourage everybody, you know, share the show to their friends out there if you're into the tech side of of high-performance engines and all. But you are initiating a lot of phone calls for yourself, my friend. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. Myself and the other guys, and we definitely, uh, we definitely feel it. I'm getting a lot of compliments uh, about the podcast, a lot of feedback, getting emails, which is great. That's what, that's what this is all about, is generating conversation and information. All right. Which is better for my application, a gapless top ring or a gapless second ring? And for the people who are just listening for entertainment, why don't you explain what that is? Okay, our gapless ring, and it's where Total Seal started in 1967. Uh, our founder, Joe Moriarty Sr., uh, created a gapless piston ring. It's a two-piece ring. You've got a, a, I'll call it a thick ring and a thin ring. They go into the same ring groove. You offset the gaps of those two rings 180 degrees apart, and, and voila, you've eliminated the end gap. Uh, simply eliminated the place for blow-by to go through. 
contaminations, burnt exhaust fuels, gases, everything that will go down and contaminate the oil and make it, you know, make it nasty, overheat the oil. Uh, it's a very, very simple, very elegant design and very easy to install. It doesn't require any special tools. And the gapless top ring, when it first came out in the in 67, we actually had in the top ring groove. That's where it stayed. And eventually, and I believe, I don't know exactly when because I wasn't working here then, I believe late 70s, it was moved to the second ring groove. And the, and the problem was they were, they were having problems with it damaging the top ring. And at the time, it just wasn't really kind of sorted out to figure out why they were hurting the top ring. So it moved to the second ring groove and stayed there until the late 90s. Uh, Matt Hartford, uh, our president and CEO, and myself and some other gentlemen got involved with trying to bring that gapless top ring back and started doing a bunch of testing and, and realized that it just needed more end gap. It had to have more room to grow. It needed more room to expand. And the problem that happened in the, in the 70s was the ring ends were budding. That was the problem. And we realized that the gapless top stops the heat in the crown of the piston, needs more room to grow. We had to increase the end gap. So now we have both gapless top ring and gapless second ring. Now the question, uh, to answer the question truly is, the closer I can move the gapless ring towards the intake valve or towards the combustion chamber, the more effective it is on the intake stroke. It fills the cylinder better. It pulls more air, more fuel. Uh, a lot of guys look at gapless rings and we talk about leak down numbers and blow by numbers, and it absolutely is, is the best at, at, at getting those numbers you know, as good as we can get them, uh, extremely low than any other ring out there. But the real key, especially in a normally aspirated piece, is how well can I seal it on that intake stroke? The, it's the ring's job to pull the air and the fuel into the cylinder, and the better I can make that seal on the intake stroke, the better job it's going to do. So anytime I've got a customer normally aspirated, it's always gapless top ring. It's my first choice. Now, we get into turbochargers, blowers, engines like that. Well, they're both very effective because now we've got something forcing the air and the fuel into the cylinder. So gapless top rings and or gapless second rings, both are very, very effective in those engines. They seal up beautifully. I don't see a real, real big advantage to one or the other uh, in a gapless top or a gapless second in those power adder applications. They both seal up very, very well. Uh, but there's also applications where you know dollars are a consideration. Uh, we have our, what we call our TSS street sets. These are sets that are designed for uh, kind of the weekend warrior uh, guy on a budget, you know, his boat, his pickup truck, RV, uh, a street type engine. And those have gapless second rings. They're a little less expensive to manufacture than the top. It's a it's an iron style second ring versus a steel or a ductile. Quinn machines a little quicker, a little, a little less expensive to manufacture, and we, we pass that savings on. They're a lower cost ring set for that guy that's He's not necessarily looking for the last ounce. He's not trying to find that last few horsepower. He just wants to get all the benefits of a gapless, you know, eliminate the blow-by, keep the oil clean, cool, and just make it a more efficient air compressor. Very interesting. I know that the gapless rings, uh, this, the engine builders I know, they are, they are choosing that, and it's all you know, naturally aspirated, normally aspirated stuff, and now it makes a lot of sense why they are doing it. Great answer. Thank you very much, Keith. Next question. What, you know, a general question. What ring set should I run for my application, right? Like the most basic phone call you probably get. Someone putting together a project. They've, they've ordered their parts, their pieces, and they want to they begin the assembly process, and they want to buy something. Like, what do I buy, and what do you say? Well, again, we're back to that, you know, kind of like we talked about before and why we like those phone calls is let's talk about your application because the set of rings that I'm going to put in a guy that's, you know, he's just a rebuilder. He's doing his next-door neighbor's pickup truck. Uh, he just wants a good file to fit quality ring set. 
you know, he's not looking to get the thing maximized. Uh, our good classic race set, good ductile plasma molly uh, set's going to be what that guy's going to want. It's cost effective. It's a great ring set, top quality. But then the next, you know, the more questions come out. Is it blown? Is it turboed? Is it nitrous? You know, what do we want to do? What are we trying to do with this application? Again, why we ask so many questions. It's, it's a matter of kind of defining what the customer wants. Now, we start getting into anything, you know, with power adders, real big horsepower numbers. We want to get away from the ductile type rings. They're a good ring, but we need something more robust. We want to look at our AP stainless steel rings, something that's a really good base material. And those rings, of course, are available, you know, gapless or conventional. But a lot of what's happening today, because it's a power adder world now. We both know it. I mean, it's it just amazes me the power levels that people are achieving, you know, to say, yeah, I got 2,000 horsepower on my streetcar. It's not, uh, it's not that uncommon these days. You're going to want a good steel ring set. So our AP steel set in either a gapless or a conventional, depending on your specific application, really covers a lot of stuff these days. It may be overkill in some types of engines, uh, kind of like putting a, you know, a, a Bryant crankshaft into your Pinot. It's not that you can't, but do you need that? But if you go with that little bit of overkill, you know you've got a great part that's going to handle anything you do to it or with it in the future. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think about the experience I've had with certain people. I know there are people, you mentioned that crankshaft is a perfect example, right? They get the best connecting rods on the planet, and they're spinning at uh, you know 6,500 RPMs. Uh, but they want to be uh, have the peace of mind to know, at least as best as they can, they're not going to have a problem. Is that true with piston rings as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what happens in so many cases, and I get this call again all the time, you know, when we build that short block or that bottom end, you know, we build it with an intention in mind. But a lot of times it's like, well, you know, I may want to put a blower on it later. I may want to put a turbo on it. I may want to throw some nitrous on it. So, Putting the better part in up front, you've already overbuilt the bottom end. You, you've built it to handle any kind of future thing that you have. Even if it's just a little tickle in the back of your brain that you might want to do that, it's not that much difference in price to go to the better part. I mean, just having to buy the gasket set to take the engine back apart is already covering the cost difference. So, you know, overbuilding it a little bit is going to allow that flexibility for future things that you may want to do. I get guys a common question. I got nitrous. I was like, well, how much nitrous? Well, I'm only going to throw 200 at. I go, is that an adjustable kit? Oh, sure, it'll go to 500. I go, well, you better build it for 500 because that's where you're going to end up. Yeah, it's just too easy <laughs> to keep cranking it up. <laughs> you know the racers pretty well, and that is exactly yeah. how adjustable is it? it? Goes to 500. Well, that's what you got to plan for. That makes uh, per- perfect sense. Yeah, you got to build. It's like, is that got an adjustable wastegate on it? Yeah, I said, well, then you better build it for all the for all it can do. That is great. All right. Next question here with Keith Jones, Director of Technical Sales. And, of course, go to the website, TotalSeal.com. We are going to have more great guests. But every now and again, we want to dive into some of the tech stuff. And at some point, we'll ask people to submit questions. But the bottom line is give Keith a call. Keith and the team over there are ready to answer questions about uh, technical issues such as this. All right. Here's one. Why would I want a smaller ring? Like the size of the ring, like small uh, compared to some of the big stuff that you mentioned from the past. Like, why is that better? Why do you want that? Well, the, I mean, right off the bat, it's simply friction reduction. Uh, anything we can do to get the friction out of the engine. And this is a big focus of the OEs today. Uh, you know, there's a time when we set a 116th ring and people were scared. Oh, that's that skinny ring. And, you know, as we talked in the, in the last episode with Ben going into 043 rings, and then, you know, that, you know, is by today's standard the big ring. There's, there's factory OE applications today that are using 0.8, 0.82 millimeter rings, which are very thin. 
and just a handful of years ago were the, the state of the art in the ring world. So the whole point is we're trying to get it to have less friction. Uh, you know, as you look, rings account for about 45% of the friction in an engine, which you know, for one, you know, for one part of it is a is a pretty big number. You know, one you know one package of pieces. So if we can get that friction down, we're going to have more power to deliver to the crankshaft. Uh, we're going to burn less fuel to make that power, and we're also because the ring's thinner in axial height and radial depth, we're going to have better bore conformability. The ring's going to allow itself to follow cylinders as cylinders move, and cylinders move a lot, especially in aluminum blocks. A lot of the modern blocks today don't have any kind of a liner. They're simply coated. They move around a lot. So anything we can do to increase the flexibility of that ring is going to end up increasing ring seal. Uh, gentleman that I was talking to earlier today, we're doing some real, real big bore stuff, drag race, and we're doing some things to the rings, our total conform modifications to his rings to allow that increased flexibility. We know his bores are moving around. We've already got thin rings, but we've got to take it to the next level. We've got to get a ring that's even more flexible in his application. So we've done our total conform option, which is radially notching the ring to allow even more flexibility. So not only do we have the reductions in friction, which you know delivers immediate you know power to the crankshaft. I mean anybody that's you know run these rings, you see it immediately. Just build the engine and rotate it. You know put a torque wrench on it and see what it takes to turn the engine over. I mean you know the thin ring stuff today. You can assemble the bottom end, simply grab the crank and spin it and watch it go. Uh, compared to a you know a traditional small block where it might take a three foot breaker bar to turn it over, uh, but we also have better ring seal because of the increased flexibility in that ring. But they last just as long or longer than the old stuff, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. The, yeah, absolutely, Joe. The material technology, it's all about material and coatings. Uh, so we, we're going to much, much tougher base materials. When we talked about you know, ductile irons or steels, you, you hear those terms thrown around a lot. That's talking about the base metal that the part itself is made out of. We deal with materials ranging from you know, you know, just plain gray iron into ductile irons, into hardened ductile irons, and then different grades of steel, 9254, 440B stainless M2 tool were different grades of steel that are all, you know, keep moving up the chain as far as durability, hardness, ability to handle heat. So we're, we're constantly working on the material side to get thinner rings that will handle more heat. And then there's the coating side uh, into, you know, physical vapor deposition coatings that allow us to put thin film coatings that are very hard, wear very well. Think of uh, like titanium on a drill bit. Think of the brutality uh, that, that uh, you know, the end of that drill bit's going through and the temperature it's going through, but yet it comes out and, it, you know, it looks brand new. You know, we're putting that kind of coating technology onto piston rings so we get very, very long life, excellent durability. Uh, in the NASCAR world now, there I believe, you, I could be wrong, I believe they've got to run two race sessions on the same set of rings. That could be up to 2,000 miles in, a, in an application like that. I've got, you know, Australian supercars, uh, running similar miles. So the thin rings really do last. And again, because of material and coating technologies, and as I pointed out earlier, uh, OE applications is thin as into the point eights and twos. And, you know, that's driving out of the factory at, you know, 800 horsepower, uh, supercharged with the 50,000 mile warranties. You know, if, if that ring technology wasn't able to handle it, you know, the OE certainly wouldn't look at it because last thing you want to do is have a warranty come back due to the piston ring. Absolutely. And uh, that's an element you keep, uh, you know, we have been talking about uh, purpose-built, custom-built, high-performance racing engines most of the time. But we have seen the OE products get much more powerful and better over the past couple of years. 
you know, 700 horsepower cars coming from the factory. They have to be evolving as well. And it's interesting to hear you talk about it. Uh, Let's talk about the relationship between oil and piston rings, right? Since they're constantly in contact. How does the ring you're going to run affect the oil you might run and vice versa, that relationship? Oil to ring, ring to oil. There's a lot of people that they have to use a certain oil, a certain type of oil, whether it be a sponsorship, whether it be a preference, and vice versa. How does that all work out? Well, you know, the oils are, you know, there's a lot of things that dis- you know, determine the viscosity of the oil, temperature that the engine has to run in, RPM that it has to run in. Uh, bearing clearances are a big one. We've got to look at the flow characteristic of the oil, what it takes to, you know, to maintain, again, that wedge of oil to keep everything in suspension, to keep the parts happy. Uh, one of the biggest things I run into is, as far as oil goes is guys trying to run real, real thin technology, you know, parts like we just talked about with heavy viscosity oils. Uh, they're real thin parts. They don't necessarily want that resistive force or that nature of that heavy oil on that part. So they, they kind of go hand in hand. When you see real thin ring type engines, you're going to generally see very light viscosity oils. I mean, I, I've seen, again, we talked about the OE. I've seen engines that are zero five weight from the factory. Heck, I think I'm driving one. Uh, very, very light viscosity oils, but they have low ring, you know, very thin ring packs and very, very tight bearing clearances. So you know, that oil, you know, the viscosity has a lot to do with bearing clearances, and we want to keep that oil light so the rings can move it back down, get it off the cylinder wall, get it into the pan quickly and easily. Now, on the other side of it, we get into, say, you know, a blown nitro engine, something where we're running, uh, I'll use the big words, copious amounts of fuel through it that are trying to wash the bores down and get the oil off the wall and off the ring, and get those parts going metal to metal, which we don't want. We've got to get into higher and higher viscosity oils, oils that are more likely to stay clung to the bore, grab that bore and hang on to the bore, as well as they're dealing with tremendous amounts of cylinder pressure, loose bearing clearances. We've got to have an oil that's going to keep that cavity filled up and, and not let the parts go metal to metal. Uh, so that's a big part of determining oil. You know, the viscosity of the oil is, is the type of application. And the thinner, you know, thinner rings generally like a lighter viscosity oil. Uh, one of the things to really look at, though, is, is the break-in oil. Break-in oil uh, and, and I'm not promoting any particular brand, but it is really the last part of the machining process. When we when we go to run that engine in, the break-in process is so very, very important. It is really the last machining process because as good as we get the rings, the profiles of the rings are OD lapped. You know, the, the, the customer, the end user, the engine shop has done this wonderful job to get the cylinders honed straight round, get the bore surfaces really good. They're still not perfect. There's still imperfections there. And the parts have to literally lap themselves together, kind of like lifters wearing into, you know, flat tap at cam, you know, brake pads wearing into rotors. And if we, if we don't do that process right, it can be a disaster. Again, we've all wiped out a flat tap at cam. Uh, I can say for myself, you know, I've stomped on the brakes on a brand new brake job way too soon and glazed up the rotors. The same thing can happen with cylinders and rings. So we want to make sure we're using a good, proper brake and oil that's going to have allow the right amount of friction because the rings want some friction. I don't want a real slippery, uh, you know, high anti-friction oil that's not going to let those surfaces come together. I need there to be a little bit of friction in there to let them mate up. What we're more concerned with is make sure that the oil's got a good anti-scuff characteristic so it doesn't scuff up the surfaces. Wow. It, it, very interesting discussion. And to end off talking about the break-in procedure, 
is perfect. That was going to be the final question that we put out there. Like, what should I use for break-in oil? No specifics, but it is a very important aspect of your new engine. You've gone through all of this stuff, and there is a possibility you could, uh, you know, maybe not ruin it all, but certainly take away some of your seal with a poor break-in process. Well, I've definitely seen that, Joe, and I, and I will say this. I have seen people ruin it you know, from improper break-in processes, uh, spend you know, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars building a wonderful engine, and then simply don't break it in correctly. It's, it's really what a, an important part. Things that the rings don't like, uh, again, an improper oil. Uh, again, I can tell a thousand stories. I had a gentleman yesterday that had an engine. Uh, he built one. It was perfect. He did another one just like it. Uh, it won't. It won't build enough compression to actually even start. And you know, through many many questions, come to find out, he put a particular Teflon style additive into his braking oil. And well, you know, there's his problem. He's pulling it all back apart now, rehoning it, putting a proper braking oil in it. The rings are fine. The cylinders are fine. But he simply put an additive in that some company advertised as being the great thing he needed, and it certainly was not. Uh, but the things rings don't like is they don't like idle time. Uh, I get a lot of guys that have engine run stands, and I'll say this from, from my point of view, and there's a lot of people out there that have them, so I'm not knocking on you, but excessive time sitting on a run stand with no load on it is very, very hard on the rings. It doesn't burn all the fuel through it. It wants to fuel wash sitting in there. You want to get a load on the engine as quickly as you can. The run stand's fine if you want to fire it up. Check the valves. Make sure everything's good. But get it in the vehicle. Get it on the dyno. You want to get a load on that engine as fast as, as you possibly can. Unloaded run time is very, very hard on the rings. Again, another story I can tell gentlemen down your way, down in Florida, this past summer has an engine that he built sitting on a run stand. Him and his buddies had fired up every couple of weeks, jacked the throttle a few times, rev it up. You know, oh, man, it's great. Shut it off. Let it sit for a couple of weeks. Fire it back up. Well, they've done this in a humid environment like Florida so many times. Never got a load on the engine. Every time they did this, the engine's rusting. And next thing you know, it won't even build up enough compression to start. He pulls it apart, sends me the piston. The rings are literally locked in the grooves due to the rust that's been created every time he let this thing sit. He never got it broken in properly and literally has destroyed this thing. He's going to have to get all new pistons, new rings, rehone it, uh, just because they, they just ran it on a run stand and to listen to it run. So getting that thing, getting that engine, getting a load on it as soon as you can. Also very important that you've got a good proper fuel curve. Rings do not like an over-rich fuel condition. And I've had, again, many people, they'll buy an aftermarket EFI system, put it on, have no idea where the fuel map is, fired up. The thing's absolutely just pig-rich fuel wash and everything. A couple weeks later, they finally get a chance to get it to some guy's dyno, start getting a tune on it, and unfortunately, damage is done at that point in time. It's already burnished the cylinder walls due to fuel wash. Again, generally doesn't hurt the rings, but you're pulling the engine back out, you're rehoning the cylinders, you're putting it all back together. A lot of expense, a lot of time that was just, you know, it was unnecessary. If it had a, a good base map in it and was correct, you never would have had that problem. So bottom line, you want to get a load on them as quick as you can, proper braking oil, and make sure you got your air-fuel ratios right. That is a perfect way to end this episode of Hidden Horsepower by Total Seal. He is Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales. Of course, all you people out there, Total Seal has got a great amount of social media out there, whether it be Facebook and Instagram, really going all in with the social media feeds. You can follow along. Of course, 
Subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, write a review. There will be more episodes like this. Keith, this has been one of my favorite episodes. No offense to all the guests we've had in the past, but uh, hearing you go in depth on the technical side, I've learned a lot of what not to do, which is very helpful, right? I don't know when the next engine I'm going to build is. I got a little bracket car that I like to mess around with, and you have said some things that I could have easily seen myself do and make a mistake. I bet it's been very helpful to the audience out there. We always say, you know, call Keith, right? Well, and I appreciate that. We want to get that information. And if you've got questions, hey, call me, email me, any of the guys here. We're glad to help you. And, you know, keep those, we'll say, keep those cards and letters coming. We want to know what questions you have, help you have a a successful build. Keith, thank you very much. Thank you for answering all these questions. I know we are just scratching the surface of what is possible out there in the world of piston rings. And the folks at uh, Total Seal are doing a great job. Thank you very much for answering all these questions. Uh, You're very welcome. He is Keith Jones. I am Joe Costello. Be sure to subscribe, write a review. More episodes to come of Hidden Horsepower by Total Seals.